Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Brought to you by the Wild Birds Unlimited store in Mesa, Arizona. Welcome to the Feathered Desert, everyone. This is Bird Feeding Myths Part 3. There is a never-ending supply of bird feeding myths out there, and we want to make sure our faithful and concerned listeners have all the right information to keep our backyard friends happy and healthy. And Cheryl is going to start us off today with our first myth. Yes, and I feel like we should have a buzzard. Yes, a <laughs> buzzard. <laughs> the holes the woodpeckers make in my cactus kills the cactus. Yes, false. <laughs> we know our relationships with woodpeckers can be complicated. Some of, us, some of us love them and enjoy their fun antics and calls, while others want to keep them away from our houses and cactuses. Here in the Phoenix Valley, we live in a desert habitat where the Gila woodpeckers and the gilded flicker, flickers are common. And these species have been here since before the West was one. Very true. They were here before we were. Yep. And they have a balanced relationship with this habitat. We forget that. We do. We do. We forget that they've had a relationship longer than we've had a relationship with the uh, landscape. Part of that relationship is nesting and cactus. But don't worry. These nests don't harm the cactus. The woodpeckers really know what they're doing. They pick the perfect cactus to keep their young safe which typically means tall, older cactus that are healthy and can handle having a few holes in them. The woodpecker will peck a hole just big enough to house their three or four young, from eggs to fledglings. Once the hole is large enough, the woodpecker leaves it to dry a few days, allowing the cactus to form a scab, also called a boot, that protects the cactus and creates a dry, cool nest for the woodpecker's chicks. I think this is so fascinating. It really is. The woodpeckers will revisit and reuse a nest year after year, but they don't always do so. Why? Well, sometimes they pick a new site because better resources offered somewhere else, and sometimes the nest is already occupied when the woodpeckers show up. Other birds will use old woodpecker nests as well. Birds such as American kestrels, our favorite peach-faced lovebirds, and the endangered elf owl, all use old woodpecker nests to raise their young. And preventing woodpeckers from making holes in a cactus can also encourage them to look for other structures, such as your soft-sided house, right. to make a nest. So next time you see a woodpecker making a home, a hole, or a home, yep. in a cactus, don't worry. It's completely natural, and the cactus will be just fine. Kirsten, you got the next one. I do, and this is one that recently came up with someone talking to me and said, well, you can't clean a suet feeder. Yeah, false. That is false. You can clean a suet feeder. Uh, Quality suet or no-melt dough is a great way to offer high-protein foods to our insectivorous birds all all year round and to all birds during nesting and migration season. So it is an important part of their diet that we can help them with seasonally. It is a base of um, the high quality suet. Starts off with a base of rendered beef fat, and we all know how difficult it is to wash fats off of anything. If you've ever gotten oil or something on your clothes, you know it is hard to get off. 
But we do have to remember that our feeders can be a disease spreading station. So we must clean them properly so that we don't transmit diseases while we're trying to help our backyard birds. And we know we've talked about this with our regular seed feeders. Mm -hmm. um, but remember, it's not the suet that is spreading the illness, which seemed to be the disconnect that I was having with this person I was speaking to. But remember, don't leave your suet cakes out if they're sitting too long because they can spoil. And then you're giving them rancid food, which can make them sick. But it generally doesn't happen. I mean, not in my yard anyways. When I put out this stuff, it's pretty much gone in like a day. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a matter of hours. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually the feeder itself that generally will spread the disease. So at least once a month, I would encourage it more than once a month, but once a month, give it a thorough cleaning. You can do that with a plant-based soap, such as Simple Green or 7th Generation. And there are other ones out there on the market. Those just happen to be the two that I use uh, and come to my mind quickly. And then you want to use a bleach or vinegar rinse to sanitize it. So since the suet can be sticky, I would fill a bucket or your sink or just a little bowl depending on the size of your suet feeder. If it's one of those small little cake feeders for a cage, I mean, you can do that in a small little bowl. Um, fill it with some warm water and then your choice of your soap and let it soak for 10 to 20 minutes. Put it in there, go about doing something else, come back to it. Then use a nice stiff brush to scrub it, and that should get any of the sticky residue off because that soap will sink into that uh, fat and it'll make it loosen up a little bit. And then that also helps you remove any poop as well. I want to clean my feeders, but I want to do it as easily on me as possible. <laughs> so I usually let my feeders all soak for at least 10 minutes um, when I'm not doing a suet feeder. Suet feeder a little bit longer, but then all the poop just comes right off. I mean, I'm not scrubbing it with some elbow grease. Um, then give your feeder a good rinse and dip it in a 10% bleach solution for 10 minutes or spray it with white vinegar. If you are a person who doesn't like to use bleach, that's okay. If you use the bleach, then just take it right out and put it in the sun after you've taken it out of the bath and the UV rays of the sun will actually deactivate the bleach and give it one final sanitizing step. If you're using the vinegar, rinse it first and then put it out in the sun for the final dry. And that will pretty much sanitize anything that's on there. And I know most suet feeders are kind of a cage configuration. So the scrubbing step can be a bit tedious, but we must remember that to be responsible bird feeders and keep our feeding stations clean to keep our birds healthy. And for a more in-depth discussion of feeder cleaning, please go back and listen to our podcast, How to Keep Your Feeder from Becoming a De Disease Depot. And that also has the four-step procedure of cleaning um, written out as well. All right, Cheryl's up next. All right, so the next, <clears throat> our next one is, I can't feed the birds because I have rats. Meh. False. If you want to feed birds, but you have a problem with roof rats, we do have a few tips to help you. First, doing a general cleanup of your backyard is a great way to avoid attracting rats in the first place. Getting rid of debris or piles of wood where they can feel safe is a good start. Try not to leave things lying around that create har harbors where they can hide. If you have fruit trees in your yard, this is very important, monitor the ripening fruit carefully and pick them when they are ready. If you have too much fruit, you can always cut open, cut some open to allow birds to eat. 
it, which is a great way to start feeding, start bird feeding. And I have three orange trees and a grapefruit tree, and I want you to know that nobody bothers in a lemon tree. Nobody bothers the lemons or the grapefruit, but they would love the oranges. Yeah. So we pick the oranges um, when they're ripe, and I divvy them up. Some of the oranges go to us, and actually the majority of the oranges go to my woodpecker. Yeah, <laughs> you my do have a very family. persistent yes. woodpecker that says, I and, must have my um, orange. <laughs> and he, they get the oranges. But at least I know the fruit is being used and it's not on the tree. Right. Another trick is to only put your feeder out during the day. Rats are generally nocturnal and come out at night to eat. Birds eat during the day, so put your feeder up in a place that's easy for you to get to and take the food down at sunset and put it out again first thing in the morning. Now there's a third option. The third option is to offer hot pepper infused seed cylinders or suet. Birds can eat the seed without the hot pepper bothering them at all. They don't have the nerve endings that interact with the hot pepper. <laughs> the capsaicin. <laughs> Sorry, I put that one in there and I was like, oops, capsaicin. I practiced, but I just didn't want to <laughs> embarrass <okay>. myself. <laughs> Mammals can feel the heat and that goes for rats too. It doesn't work on all rats, but it's a good option to try. It, but it were it's it's successful enough. It it's, is. It's worth the the attempt. In yes. A, way. A, fourth, a fourth strategy is to use baffles and cages around feeders that prevent rats from accessing the feeder itself. A baffle is a dish you hang above the feeder that prevents the rat from climbing down a hook to get to a feeder from above, or a dish that you mount below a feeder on a pole that prevents the rat from climbing up to the feeder. There are various cages that can also be placed around a feeder that allows only the birds inside while keeping the rats out. If you do have rat problems, check out our, a podcast that we have. We have a podcast episode on rodenticide, deadly decision, for a more in-depth in depth discussion on rat control. Yes. And one of the things, too, is you don't have to have eight feeders out there. No. If you want to feed and you do have a rat problem, pick one that you enjoy doing. Maybe a cylinder feeder that's easy to take uh, up and down keep, take up and down, and um, just do that. And then you'll have plenty of small little birds for your enjoyment, but you won't be encouraging rats. There's, you know, there's some give and take there. You can, yes. you can work it out. Yeah. All right, Kirsten. All right, on to our next one. The best sugar to use for making hummingbird food is organic sugar. That is false. This is actually a twofer. Our other myth is it's okay to use red dye in hummingbird food. Yes. Totally false, totally false, both of these. So we're going to go into a nice discussion of this. This myth, like I just said, is a myth twofer and something we have discussed before, but it is well worth repeating. If you choose to make your own nectar for hummingbirds, the only sugar, only sugar you should be using is white granular table sugar. That sugar that you get in the grocery store that your nutritionist says, do not eat it, it's not good for you. It is the best sugar out there for hummingbirds because it mimics the natural nectar in a flower better than anything else. Now, sometimes people think that organic sugar must be better because it's more natural and less processed, but it's not better when you're feeding the hummingbirds. Brown and organic sugars still have molasses in them. And that is not something that hummingbirds come in contact with. That is not in a natural flower nectar. And that is in the sugars that we like to use for our cooking and for our consumption because it tastes better to us. 
There is no, I'm going to say this again, there is no molasses in natural flower nectar. I don't think you could say it enough. I Yes, I'll say it every day if I have to. Uh, the problem with molasses is that hummingbirds cannot digest the molasses. They can't literally physically break it down. And what happens is it gets stuck in their crop and it creates a sticky goop that will prevent them from swallowing and they will eventually starve to death. And it's going to be a couple of days before they die. And that's... That's a horrible thing to do to a hummingbird. Because we know that if you're wanting to feed the hummingbirds, you're wanting to help them. You're not wanting to kill them. So if you do that, you must, must, must take out your brown and organic sugars. White table sugar only. Now, one of the other arguments I've heard is that some people will say, well, the hummingbirds keep coming to, the, uh, to drink the nectar, so it can't be bad. But what you don't see is that those hummingbirds are coming once, and then they're going and dying elsewhere. And most likely the next hummingbird that comes is probably another individual. You may think it's the same one, but it's not. We have to remember that they rely on us to give them quality, correct food. They're not going to know that it's bad until after they've already tasted it and they've drunk it and then it's already in their crop and there's nothing we can yeah. do. It's too late. So you have to remember, we have to offer the right stuff. The second half of this myth is about the red dye. So it is not okay to put red food dye in your nectar. It is not something that would be in natural flower nectar, and it can be bad for hummingbirds. It is not needed to attract the hummingbirds. I know when I was a little kid, my mom was like, oh, we put the red nectar in there and it attracts them. Well, you don't have to do that at all for any reason, but you certainly don't have to do it now because our hummingbird feeders that you find, every single one of them has red on it. So you do not need to put red in the dye to attract them because they're already seeing the red on your hummingbird feeder. And there are, there are many people that will argue, and I've had this person argue, not this person, not a person, but I've had this argument before, that there's no scientific evidence that states that red dye harms hummingbirds. And they are actually correct. But the Cornell Lab of Ornithology has made a statement, and I quote, there is no research that proves red dye is safe for hummingbirds and very compelling anecdotal information from experienced licensed rehabbers that hummers who have been fed red dyed food have higher mortality and they suffer tumors of the bill and liver, end quote. So that, that just makes me feel horrible right there. Now, the word anecdotal may throw you off there, but it doesn't mean it's unreliable information. It means that it is information gathered in a practical, real-world experience, not information gathered in an experimental laboratory situation. And if you think about it, because I was thinking about this when I was writing this, what scientist is going to propose an experiment where we feed red-dyed nectar to a hummingbird for months or years and then euthanize the birds to do a necropsy on them just to find out if red dye is or is not harmful to them? I don't know any scientist that would be any, like, yes. let's kill those cute little birds because we just want to know. No. I don't think so. No, they're going to go to other places. Right. To, and that makes perfect sense. And rehabbers, they would be the ones to know. Yep. Rehabbers and zoos and people who care for them over the long term. Yep. They're going to see this. They see this. They're the front lines. So the yep. other issue to consider about our red dye in the nectar is that it's not regulated on a daily basis. So the FDA has actually has made limits on how much red dye a human being should safely consume in one day. I mean, there was all that controversy in the 90s about red dye and our candy and all that kind of stuff. The FDA says you should only use this amount for a human. 
based on the average hummingbird drinking 10 grams of nectar a day, if there is red dye in that nectar, it means the hummingbird is drinking 17 times more red dye than the maximum daily limit recommended for humans. And they are like a one one hundredth of the size of us. So, I mean, one little gulp of that and it's already sent him on his way to death. So, let's not do that. Um, there is one last argument that people will also say. I have heard this before. If it's so bad for the birds, why do stores still sell it? Well, because stores want to make money. And if people are still buying it, they're going to make it and they're going to sell it. If we stop buying it, the store won't continue to order it and then manufacturers will have to stop making it because demand drops. So let's help make that happen and not buy nectar, whether it's in powder or liquid form with red dye in it anymore. Yes, because they offer you the, the choice. Yep. I mean, when I've gone to um, like large box stores, yep, um, they have red and they have clear. If you want to buy it already made or you want to buy a powder, at least, like you said, take the dye out of it. Yep, get the stuff without the red dye. And when you go to um, gardens and zoos and things where they have the animals' um, uh, well-being up front, yeah. you don't see that. Nope. You don't so, see red dye in there. No. All right, Cheryl's got our next one. All right. So, I don't have to clean my bird bath. I just refill it with fresh water. Uh, <laughs> false. <laughs> Diseases can be easily spread in a bird bath. But here in the desert, it is important to offer water, especially in hot seasons. We do, however, need to keep our bird baths clean. And most importantly, we need to keep feces out of the water. Many diseases can be spread through bird poop. But it's super simple to keep your bird bath clean. Once a month, do a full cleaning with a scrub brush. Plant-based soaps such as 7th Generation or Simple Green, some elbow grease in the form of the scrubbing the algae and the poop away, when then rinse and do a 10% bleach or vinegar, white vinegar spray. If you do the bleach, let it sit for 10 minutes. Please monitor the bath so the birds don't land on it. I always cover it with like a trash lid. Nice. Uh, land on it until the bleach solution um, is in it, then rinse and let the let it dry out in the sun. This will keep your bird bath sanitized and help keep algae growth to a minimum. I always find after I clean my bird baths that the water sparkles a little more. Yeah. And I get a lot more bird activity. Yeah. Which encourages me to clean it more often. Yeah. There are a few tips to keep it clean in between deep cleans. According to the Audubon Society, you can use a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar in a clean bird bath to help keep algae from growing too quickly. The vinegar will not harm the birds. Place your bird bath in the shade. It's best to do this in our hot desert anyways because it also helps keep the water cooler. Keep debris out of your bird bath, which can encourage algae growth. If you have trouble with the mineral deposits, try a white vinegar solution and a scrub brush. Unfortunately, yeah, we're going to have to scrub a little, guys. Yeah. Sometimes hobbies take a little work. Yes. Use a nine-part water, one-part white vinegar to help remove the mineral deposits. During migration seasons or if you have a healthy bird bathing day, do an extra scrub, cleaning with your plant-based soap to remove any excess poop. 
So I find that the more often I clean my bird baths, the more bird activity I get around them, but also the easier it is to clean. Yeah. I mean, so I certainly clean mine every few days, really. Maintenance is the key. Yep. And it is. Once you start, you start off doing that in the beginning and set it to be on a day that is your day off and take 10 minutes in the morning to go out, scrub, 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 clean, done. And then you get into a habit of doing it and it'll be easy and it'll be simple. And if you can't do that, then we would encourage you not to offer a large bird bath uh, because you're, it's just a very, very easy way for them to transfer diseases. And that's one thing that U.S. Game and Fish in Arizona told us this year to be very, very cautious of because yes. we had many diseases um, this summer with the avian flu and the paramox virus and uh, the, um, the asper that the... Um, no, sorry, not Asper, the psittacosis that the parrots had. Um, I mean, there was three diseases floating around in the desert. So, yeah, just take a little time but, to clean it. And it's all due to, um, a lot of it's due to water. Yes. So we didn't have a lot of water. <clears throat> we went through a very dry spell, which causes the water to become stagnant. Yeah. And that's what, and you're not cleaning your bird bath, you're actually creating a stagnant Disease pool. Yep. And we certainly don't want that. Not at all. Well, we do hope that these myths that we talked about today offer you some answers to some questions that you might have had. And we are very happy to have shared the answers with you. Yes.